Today, a little-known true story that involves a German SS officer named Heinrich Himmler, who was second in command to Hitler within the Nazi party. It involves an ancient castle with a bloody history, cult worship, a crashed UFO, an Indiana Jones-style hunt for artifacts, and a quantity of missing sterling silver rings which featured a skull and mystic symbols, rings that once given meant membership till death in Himmler's cult of SS believers. There were over 14,000 of these death rings awarded to top SS officers and very few exist today. According to legend, most were removed from dead SS officers toward the end of World War II, returned to Himmler's castle at Wievensburg, and placed in a steel box which was, in the last days of Hitler's rule, buried in an unknown location beneath a mountain in Germany as the Allies approached, and the crypt was blasted closed and then forgotten. No paperwork exists as to its actual location. The rings may also be sealed in a chamber beneath the Wievelsburg Castle, which stands on a hilltop in Germany and serves as a museum today. Coming up, the story of the Nazi SS officer Heinrich Himmler, who planned and ordered the death of millions of innocents, his very creepy castle, and the legend that surrounds his death rings, known as the Totenkopfrings. Welcome to another episode for 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And today's story is a true story, the legend being the unknown location of thousands of death's head rings called Totenkopf rings, designed by order of Germany's top SS officer and awarded as a personal gift to the top senior officers in his command. There were about 14,500 of these Totenkopf rings made and each ring had the officer's name, the date the award was given, and Himmler's signature engraved on the interior. The ring came with a letter and was to be worn on the ring finger of the left hand, until death. If an SS member was dismissed or retired from the service, his ring had to be returned. In the letter that accompanied the ring, according to Himmler, the ring was a reminder at all times to be willing to risk the life of ourselves for the life of the whole. That ring became a highly sought-after award, one which could not be bought or sold. Some SS and police members had local jewelers make unofficial versions to wear. In 1938, Himmler ordered the return of all rings of dead SS men and officers to be stored in a chest in Wievelsburg Castle, the castle which Himmler had claimed as his own, and in which he created a cult that surrounded itself in mysticism and satanic worship. Not only was Himmler the top SS officer in charge of Hitler's concentration camps, he was neck-deep in mysticism and the occult, and Vivisburg, an ancient castle with its own bloody history, provided a perfect getaway for Himmler's hobbies. Heinrich Himmler was one of the most powerful men of the Third Reich, and records tell us that he was second only to Hitler. He was also the power and authority behind the rounding up and murdering of literally millions of innocent people in so many ways it would and does stagger the imagination. Himmler was evil personified, and there is no other way to say it. 
Historian Wolfgang Sauer says that although he was pedantic, dogmatic, and dull, Himmler emerged under Hitler as second in actual power. His strength lay in a combination of unusual shrewdness, burning ambition, and servile loyalty to Hitler. In 2008, the German news magazine Der Spiegel described Himmler as one of the most brutal mass murderers in history and the architect of the Holocaust. Historian John Tolan relates a story by Gunter Sirup, a subordinate of Heydrich, who was Himmler's number two man. Hendrik showed him a picture of Himmler and said, The top half is the teacher, but the lower half is the sadist. Historian Adrian Wheel comments that Himmler and the SS followed Hitler's policies without question or ethical considerations. Himmler accepted Hitler and Nazi ideology and saw the SS as a chivalric Teutonic order of new Germans. He had joined the Nazi party in 1923 and the SS in 1925. In 1929, Himmler was appointed Reichsfuhrer SS by Hitler. Over the next 16 years, he developed the SS from a mere 290-man battalion into a million-man-strong paramilitary group, and following Hitler's orders, set up and controlled the Nazi concentration camps. He was known for good organizational skills and for selecting highly competent subordinates such as the previously mentioned Reinhard Hedrick in 1931. From 1943 onwards, he was both chief of German police and minister of the interior, overseeing all internal and external police and security forces, including the Gestapo, otherwise known as the secret state police. Himmler had a lifelong interest in occultism, interpreting Germanic, neo-pagan, and Volkish beliefs in his own way to promote the racial policy of Nazi Germany and incorporating esoteric symbolism and rituals into the SS, including the SS symbol itself. On Hitler's behalf, Himmler formed the Einzengruppen, or death squads as they became known, and built extermination camps capable of murdering Jews, Slavs, Seventh-day Adventists, homosexuals, Russians, Polish intelligentsia, gypsies, vagrants, and all political enemies by the tens of thousands weekly. Awards were given to men who could devise the best ways to kill the most people in the shortest amount of time. Men, women, and children. As facilitator and overseer of the concentration camps, Himmler directed the killing of some 6 million Jews, between 200,000 and 500,000 Romani people, or gypsies as they're commonly known to us, and other victims. The total number of civilians killed by the regime is estimated at 11 to 14 million people. Most of them were Polish and Soviet citizens. Himmler attempted to open peace talks with the Western Allies without Hitler's knowledge shortly before the end of the war. But when Hitler heard of it, he dismissed Himmler from all his posts in April of 1945 and ordered his arrest. Himmler attempted to go into hiding, but was detained and then arrested by British forces once his identity became known. Himmler's end came all too easily. While in British custody, he committed suicide by ingesting a cyanide pill which had been hidden in his mouth. That day was May 23, 1945. Himmler tied his interest in mysticism into his racist philosophy, looking for proof of Aryan or Nordic racial superiority from ancient times. 
he promoted a cult of ancestor worship, particularly among members of the SS, as a way to keep the race pure and provide immortality to the nation. Viewing the SS as an order along the lines of the Teutonic Knights, he had them take over the Church of the Teutonic Order in Vienna in 1939. He began the process of replacing Christianity with a new moral code that rejected humanitarianism and challenged the Christian concept of marriage. The Anna Nerbi, a research society founded by Himmler in 1935, searched the globe for proof of superiority and ancient origins of the Germanic race, and this group's frenzied and wide search later became a part of the storyline for the Indiana Jones movies. If only this group had been a legitimate research group dedicated to finding artifacts on behalf of the world's population, their contribution would have been invaluable. They sent research teams to practically every corner of the globe the Ananerbi did, from Iceland to China to Egypt and Mesopotamia. They explored ancient cave drawings, artifacts, mountain caverns and tombs, and took photos and kept records and did digs, but all with the purpose of trying to prove that the Aryan race had begun ancient civilizations. The Ananerbi were the definition of confirmation bias, casting aside all the facts and obvious flaws to their conclusions so that they could run with their own flawed theory. All regalia and uniforms of Nazi Germany, particularly those of the SS, used symbolism in their designs. The stylized lightning bolt logo of the SS was chosen in 1932. The logo is a pair of runes from a set of 18 Armenian rules created by Guido von Liszt in 1906. Himmler modified a variety of existing customs to emphasize the elitism and central role of the SS. An SS naming ceremony was to replace baptism. Marriage ceremonies were to be altered. A separate SS funeral ceremony was to be held in addition to Christian ceremonies, and SS-centric celebrations of the summer and winter solstices were instituted. The Tochenkopf, or Death's Head, symbol, had been used by German military units for hundreds of years, but Himmler needed his own version for the SS. Himmler placed particular importance on the Death's Head rings. They were never to be sold, and were to be returned to him upon the death of the owner. He interpreted the Death's Head symbol to mean solidarity to the cause and a commitment unto death. Inside Vifasport Castle, the story of which we'll get to soon, a special crypt was built to house a memorial to symbolize the ongoing membership of the deceased in the SS order. The memorial featured an eternal flame coming up to the floor. In October of 1944, as the Allied forces drew nearer, Himmler ordered that further manufacture and awards of the ring were to be halted. Himmler then ordered that all the remaining rings, approximately 11,500, to be hidden, and that the castle be destroyed. One legend says that he placed a steel box filled with the death rings inside a hill near Vivasport Castle and blast-sealed them shut, never leaving written directions as to where the location was. Another legend had it that the death rings are hidden beneath the castle, in what was to be Himmler's burial crypt. The location of the death rings has never been discovered. I've scoured many documents and videos, but it seems that very few people are aware of the buried rings, and if there is or has been any search, 
It's been kept quiet. No doubt the find would be invaluable, and many would be in favor of throwing the rings into a burning volcano to destroy the evil that they represent, much like Frodo did with the Ring of Sauron in the Lord of Rings trilogy. Tolkien's inspiration for the Lord of Rings came from his experiences in World War I, which swept him up and into the trenches after his graduation from Oxford, trenches where he witnessed death and destruction at a magnitude never seen before. The book, for him, was a catharsis, a healing, and a powerful reminder that sooner or later good will triumph over evil, though much is sacrificed in the process. And it will be the common people, he believed, such as the hobbits, the dwarves, and elves, and their allies, who are pulled away from their peaceful lives to battle and conquer evil, who will win in the end. By January of 1945, 64% of the 14,500 rings had been returned to Himmler after the deaths of the holders. In addition, 10% had been lost on the battlefield, and 26% were either kept by the holder or their whereabouts were unknown. Special teams of SS were appointed by Himmler to recover the death rings of any SS officers who had fallen. The gruesome silver rings featured a skull and bones and a series of runes or symbols, each of which had specific meaning, as interpreted by Himmler. The design of the ring reflects Himmler's interest in Germanic mysticism and includes the Totenkopf symbol and Arminen runes, as mentioned. Runes are ancient German symbols that were handed down through generations from the old priests. There are 18 runes, each with a different meaning. My German last name, Hagedorn, curiously enough, as I found in researching the ancient runes, is found among the eighteen runes. Haga, a variation of Hagel, meaning head or crown, and Dorn, meaning thorn. My name was a Christian interpretation, meaning crown of thorns, as in the crown of thorns that Jesus was forced to wear on the cross. How the family received that surname, I have no idea. As I've been working on that family tree using ancestry, I'm finding it goes back a long way but Christianity was a prime target of Himmler's SS. His goal was to replace it with his own godless version of worship. The Catholic Church became a prime target, and there are volumes written regarding his subjugation of the Church in Germany and in conquered territories. Different groups, such as the German SS under Himmler's leadership, developed their own interpretations of the runes. The German SS, believing that they themselves were a master race and destined to control the universe. Obviously, that didn't turn out too well for them. We've placed pictures of the ring at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes, and we suggest you take a look. We'll leave a link in the show notes for you. Vivisborg is a Renaissance castle, and by the way, I checked the pronunciation on it. The word is spelled W-E-W-E-L-S-B-U-R-G, which looks like Wewelsburg. But I checked the pronunciation and it's pronounced Vivisburg. It's a Renaissance castle located in the village of Vivisburg, which is a district of the town of Buren, Westphalia, in the Landkreis of Paderborn, in the northeast of North Rhine, Westphalia, Germany. The castle has a triangular layout, three round towers connected by massive walls. After 1934, It was used by the SS under Heinrich Himmler 
and was to be expanded into a complex which would serve as the central SS cult site. After 1941, plans were developed to enlarge it to be the so-called center of the world, meaning Himmler's new world. Research doesn't tell us a lot about what Himmler did inside, but we have clues and legends and some strange architecture, plus castle history. And lo and behold, the 2015 discovery in Czechoslovakia of Himmler's occult castle library, which shed a new light on where Himmler and his understudies got their sorcery material. If you're an aspiring writer-researcher, this find is a gold mine, and it lends credence to many of the theories about Himmler's occultism, which up until now have been discredited mostly as hearsay. Here's what we know now regarding the library of books about the occult accumulated by Heinrich Himmler. Himmler reportedly believed that the occult was the key to Aryan supremacy. As he grew in power and prominence within the German high command, his obsession with the mystic and arcane only increased. His worldview was colored and influenced by this fact, and he became fascinated by ancient history, or rather, his own perception of ancient history. Not only was he interested in lost civilizations and distant ancestors, some of whom he tried to contact through seances, but he even started seeing his SS officers as a form of holy knights, similar to the Templar and Teutonic orders. This grandiose vision, combined with his fascination of the occult, was a defining feature of his personality and beliefs. A huge round table was built into one of the upper gathering rooms in the castle. He was not alone in this, of course. Himmler was only one of many Nazis who collected books relating to matters of the occult. However, it is generally recognized that Himmler was particularly influenced by this movement. His beliefs influenced the way that he ran the SS, and may account for their extreme brutality during the war. The 13,000-volume library was found in a depot of the National Library of the Czech Republic near Prague. The depot had not been accessed since the 50s. Bjorn Helg, Norwegian Masonic researcher, told Verdens Gang, a Norwegian newspaper, that some of the books were seized from the Norwegian Order of Freemasons in Oslo during Nazi occupation of the country. Himmler had many occult books taken from countries occupied by the Germans. Himmler founded the H. Sonderkommando in 1935, with the H standing for Hex, which is the German word for witch. Their mission was to collect as much information as possible on sorcery, the occult, and the supernatural. The majority of the collection was known as the Witch's Library, and was focused on witches and their persecution in medieval Germany. Himmler believed that the Roman Catholic Church attempted to eliminate the German-Aryan race using witch hunts. He learned that one of his ancestors had been burned as a witch. His friend Hitler did not have quite the same interest in the occult, although it was certainly something he was open to, but he allowed Himmler to explore the subject freely because he valued Himmler's abilities. The books were to be kept in Vifisborg Castle. This castle is considered today to be the Black Camelot of Nazism, being the place where Himmler created his court of SS knights, mimicking King Arthur and his knights of the round table. And many still believe that Himmler was actually attempting to create a new Germanic religion, one that could rival Christianity, which he detested. And Himmler's library wasn't the only find of the last few years. 
there was the Chimsey Cauldron, which was a gold cauldron found at the bottom of Lake Chimsey in Bavaria in 2001. The cauldron is decorated with figures reminiscent of the style of the Gundestrup cauldron. It has a diameter of 50 centimeters, 20 inches, and a height of 30 centimeters, 12 inches. And what is very special about it, besides the unique carvings and fascia on it, is that it's made from 23 pounds of 18 karat gold. The Chimsey Cauldron was discovered in 2001 by a local diver at the bottom of Lake Chimsey. It was initially suspected to be some 2,000 years old, judging by its Celtic-style decoration and its similarity to the Gundestrup Cauldron. However, when the artifact was passed along to Ludwig Bomser of the Bavarian State Archaeological Collection to be analyzed, it was identified as a 20th century creation, possibly made during the Nazi era. This seemed to be confirmed by a witness. The senior director of the Munich Jewelers Company, Theodor Haydn, stated that the company's goldsmith, Alfred Notes, before his death in the 1960s, had told him about a golden cauldron weighing more than 10 kilograms with a figurative ornament and manufactured by means of the paddle and anvil technique, which had been manufactured in Haydn's workshop between 1925 and 1939. The maker of the cauldron is believed to have been Otto Gar, a Nazi party member, silversmith, and favored jeweler to the Nazi elite. Gar crafted the silver Death's Head Rings, worn by SS members, the subject of our podcast today. In an interview with National Geographic, jeweler Maximilian Haydn opined that Gar would have been the obvious choice of the Nazi party for such a project. According to Max Haydn, Otto Gar, primarily a silversmith, probably sought out Alfred Notes for his, ex- for his expertise in working with gold. Furthermore, Nazi documents dated April 45 were found in an attic in Germany in 2011. Those papers, which appear to be a movement order for 35 items ranging from gold and silver to precious stones, were discovered among items once belonging to Heinrich Himmler. The documents list a gold cauldron slash Celtic, along with the name Otto Gar and Munich, and that turned out to be the lead to the location of the cauldron at the bottom of that lake. Exactly what that cauldron was used for by Himmler is not known and may never be. That it is a valuable artifact from the Third Reich is all that is known, but right now it sits in a vault as attorneys in Zurich try to decide its rightful ownership. The castle, Vivisborg, has a bloody history. From 1301 to 1589, the Prince Bishops of Paderborn assigned the estate to miscellaneous liege lords. The masonry of both predecessor buildings was integrated in the current triangular Renaissance castle, the Vifisborg was built from 1603 to 1609 as a secondary residence for Prince Bishops of Paderborn, at that time Dietrich von Furstenberg. Its location is near what was then believed to be the site of the Battle of the Tudorberg Forest of 9 CE. Now that's an interesting story in itself. The Battle of the Tudorberg Forest, described as the Varian Disaster by Roman historians, took place there, on and near the site of the castle, around the year 8 A.D., meaning the year 8 in the year of our Lord, when an alliance of Germanic tribes ambushed and decisively destroyed three Roman legions and their auxiliaries led by Publius Quintilius Verus. The alliance was led by Arminius, a Germanic officer of Verus's auxilia. 
Arminius had acquired Roman citizenship and had received a Roman military education, which enabled him to deceive the Roman commander and anticipate the Roman army's tactical responses. In short, they slaughtered him. Despite several successful campaigns and raids by the Romans in the years after the battle, the Romans never again attempted to conquer the Germanic territories east of the Rhine River. And the victory of the Germanic tribes against Rome's legions in the Teutoburg Forest would have far-reaching effects on the subsequent history of both the ancient Germanic peoples and the Roman Empire. Contemporary and modern historians have generally regarded Arminius's victory over Varus as Rome's greatest defeat, making it one of the rarest things in history, a truly decisive battle, and as a turning point in world history, and the Vivisport Castle sits right on the site where it all happened. With all this death and destruction, and the burning of accused witches, and the dungeons discovered within, it's no wonder that so many visitors to the castle today get a strange feeling as they wander the areas in which the visitors are allowed. The Vivisbork was taken several times during the Thirty Years' War. In 1646 it was occupied and then raised by Swedish troops by an army commanded by General Carl Gustav Wrangel. After 1650 the mostly destroyed castle by now was rebuilt by Prince Bishop Theodor Adolf von der Recke and his successor Ferdinand von Furstenberg, as previously mentioned. He carried out some architectural changes the three towers of the castle got their Baroque domes during Furstenberg's ownership. From 1589 to 1821, the castle was the place of residence of a bursary officer or steward, and two witch trials took place in the Vivisbork in 1631, and there's a former Inquisition room which is in the basement next to the East Tower. During the Seven Years' War, 1756 to 1763, the basement rooms were probably used as a military prison. Himmler decided to buy, or lease, or take the castle on his first visit on November 3, 1933. His architect, Hermann Bartels, was able to draw on existing plans for the FAD camp for the now envisaged Reichsfuhrerschule SS Leadership or SS Leadership School. This school was mainly intended to ensure a unified ideological training of the SS leadership and would be run by the Rassiment of the SS. The focus of the school was to become a center for Germanic pre and early history, folklore studies, etc., as a means for ideological political training. There is some speculation that it was Karl Maria Willigut who convinced Himmler to use the castle not only as a school, but also as a cult site. Willigut allegedly was inspired by the old Westphalian legend of the Battle of the Birch Tree. That saga tells about a future last battle at the birch tree in which a huge army from the east is beaten decisively by the west. During 1935, Willigut reportedly predicted to Himmler that the Vivisbork castle would be the bastion of growth for the SS and Germany. Himmler expected a big conflict between Asia and Europe. But very quickly the focus of activity shifted away from schooling the SS leadership in a broad set of ideological fields to something much narrower. In fact, work concentrated more on conducting basic pseudo-scientific research in the fields of Germanic, medieval history, folklore, and genealogy, all intended to provide the underpinnings for the racial teachings of the SS. A scientific library was established. 
but even the first plans by Bartels did not show any large-scale classrooms, only smaller cell-like rooms for individual study. Vifusport Castle also became the center for archaeological excavations in the region. A ban on visiting the castle was imposed by Himmler on the 6th of November, 1935. It was off-limits to anyone but SS and those in training for the SS. In 1939, he forbade publishing anything about the castle, which is why so little is known today. We do know that the Sachsenhausen and Nigerhagen concentration camps were used to provide laborers to perform much of the construction work on Vifusborg under the design of architect Hermann Bartels. But a decree January 13th of 1943, right in the middle of World War II, all building projects which were unimportant for the war, including the Vifusborg, had to be stopped. That order coming down from Hitler. In 1938, after Kristallnacht, 17 Jews from the 10-kilometer distant Salzkotten were shut in the dungeon of the Vifusborg Castle before their further transport to Buchenwald. In the middle of the 1930s, Himmler had a private safe mounted in the basement of the West Tower. Only the commandant of the castle knew about it. The whereabouts of its content after the Second World War is unclear and was very possibly confiscated by the American military. We do know that swearing-in and ring ceremonies were planned at the castle. The meetings of SS group leaders, who were equivalent to lieutenant generals, at so-called spring conferences, were planned and started in 1939. The highest-ranking SS officers who planned the SS operation in the Soviet Union or who were intended to be used for Operation Barbarossa were called up by Himmler. Inside the North Tower, two mythologic-designed rooms were created between 1938 and 1943. One was the Hall of the Dead, which consisted of a circular chamber with twelve low stone platforms around its walls. In the center of the room was a worship altar. This altar was the focal point of the room, with frantic attempts made by the Order to invoke dark, mystical powers of the Black Sun. Twelve night initiates would stand, one on each of the twelve stone platforms against the walls facing the central altar, and would attempt to channel psychic power to the high priest, who probably was Himmler in person. These SS ceremonies required human blood sacrifice, which was not a problem. The SS concentration camp just outside the castle were full of them. A small group of sacrificial victims were kept at the fortress for this very purpose. Where a primary cistern was originally located, a vault after the model of Mycenaean domed tombs was hewn into the rock, possibly to serve as some kind of commemoration of the dead. Former SS General Carl Wolf referred to it as, This was a part of the myth which was to be introduced here. These are the twelve compartments. They were created according to mystic confused things with which Himmler liked to play, of the round table of King Arthur. In fact, we were twelve main department leaders, called Hoptumchefs, who represented equally next to each other their service areas. Because Himmler didn't have the courage to appoint a deputy Reichsfuhrer SS or a deputy chief of the German police, so we had all twelve of us assume those positions. At the zenith of the dome, still seen today, is a swastika with ornamentally extended arms. Despite its anti-Semitic connotation, the swastika, or Hakenkreuz, was also understood as the symbol of the creating acting life, das Symbol des Schaffenden, and as the race emblem of Germanism. The vault has special acoustics and illumination. 
On the ground floor, the Opergruppenführersaal, literally translated the Upper Group Leaders Hall, referring to the original 12 highest-ranking SS generals called Obergruppenführer. In the center of the marbled, whitish-grayish floor, a dark green sunwheel or sonnenrod is embedded. The axis of the sunwheel originally consisted of a circular plate of pure gold, which was to symbolize the center of the castle and thus the entire Germanic world empire, and possibly the holding spot for that gold cauldron. Since the 1990s, the ornament has been called the Black Sun occasionally. It's not known if the SS had a special name for the ornament, nor if they attributed a special meaning to it. Possibly the sun wheel had a relation to the Germanic light and sun mysticism which was propagated by the SS. When the final victory failed to materialize, the castle commander, SS General Siegfried Taubert, fled on March 30, 1945, as the U.S. 3rd Armored Division closed in on the Paderborn area in the final phases of the war. Meanwhile, at his headquarters in Brenslau, Himmler ordered Adjutant SS Major Heinz Macher with 15 of his men to destroy the castle at Wiefersburg. And this took place Saturday, March 31, 1945, only three days before the 83rd Armored Reconnaissance Battalion, 3rd Armored Division, seized the grounds after reports from a nearby Burgermeister that SS men had set fire to their barracks in the castle, changed into civilian clothes, and fled. Because Macher's German company ran out of explosives, they placed tank mines only in the unimportant Southeast Tower, the Guard Building, and the SS Cadre Building, which was completely destroyed. The castle was set on fire, and according to information of the village citizens, the castle was open to looting, and this may well have been the means by which the library and any removable artwork or statues disappeared. According to rumors, the death head rings were to be buried in the sub-basement vault. The vault, allegedly dubbed the Himmler Crypt, was dedicated to Heinrich I, founder and first king of the medieval German state, of whom Himmler reportedly believed himself to be the reincarnation of, and the place where he hoped to be interred after his death. In Himmler's opinion, Heinrich I protected Germany from invaders from the East, as popularized in Richard Wagner's Lohengrin opera. Allegedly, the Opergruppenführers Hall had similarities with the Mausoleum of Theodoric in Ravenna. When one of the officers died, his ashes would be interred in the castle. There is speculation that the urns of dead SS leaders had been placed on the pedestals in the vault. The vault is also named Consecration Hall. The exact meaning of the vault is unknown. Nevertheless, the room is significant for the quasi-religious aspects of national socialism, especially the ancestral cult. According to writer J. von Helsing, there was a recovered flying disc that crashed in the Schwarzwald Black Forest near Freiburg in 1936, and it was taken to Wiefersburg Castle, where a reverse engineering project was launched, reportedly leading to the construction of several very advanced flying machines towards the end of World War II. And if you think Nazi technology, including flying discs, is all fiction, you might want to rethink that. Photos do exist showing some of these, taken by different people. The 15 million in repairs and secret rooms built into and below the castle accommodated at least the first storage of crashed disc parts, while the SS technical branch, made up of advanced engineers who were said to have worked on discovering how the disc was able to fly, what powered it, could take their time and dissect it. And from this, the Germans reportedly developed a new type of propulsion, 
a field drive of immense power that could power what they called the Honabu disk. The German research authority Vril was obsessed with the concept of power derived from the black sun, an invisible eternal light with infinite power not visible to the human eye, but existing in what we now call antimatter. It was called at that time, however, the Light of the Godhead, and was relentlessly pursued by Vril. The SS Technical Branch E-4 unit was tasked with developing alternative energies by Himmler, so a joint effort was beneficial to everyone involved with the Hanabu project. And there's a picture today that exists of the Hanabu-1 flight disc with Donar KSK experimental beam weapon mount. And didn't we cover beam weapons in the Jatlov story? just a few months ago. This may well have been the progenitor of that beam. The Hanabu-1 was the first of the large German flight disks and took to the air with a Tachyonator 7 drive. In August of 1939, just a few weeks prior to the outbreak of World War II, it is believed that this disk was powered by a form of electromagnetic gravity, or EMG. This subject is often featured in popular culture and science fiction, the History Channel series Ancient Aliens features the Freeburg disc crash of 1936 in their episode Alien and the Third Reich, Season 2, Episode 5. To this end, Vifusborg was dedicated to pioneering incredible energies that could be used in the war effort. It was the Black Sun concept that gave inspiration for a wide field of technologies considered not only unconventional science, but demonic technology in the 1940s. Beam weaponry, weather manipulation both the cold and molecular bomb, ion plasma energy, and, of course, the radical disk machines. In 1948-49, the castle was restored. In June of 1950, it was reopened as a museum and youth hostel, while the Niederhagen kitchen had been renovated into a village fire station. In 1973, a two-year project was begun to restore the North Tower, By 1977, it had been decided to restore the entire site as a war monument, and that opened March 20, 1982, under the name Vifusborg, 1933-1945, Kult and Terrorstadt of the SS. Several Niederhagen camp survivors were present for the opening. In 1996, the Historical Museum of Bishopric of Paderborn opened in the east and south wings of the castle. The museum documents the history of the Hochschiff Paderborn, which was one of the territories of the Holy Roman Empire. In 2010, the museum's Contemporary History Department was reopened as Vifusborg 1933-45 Memorial Museum. The new permanent exhibition, Ideology and Terror of the SS, now presents the history of the Schutzstaffel's activities in Vifusborg within the broader context of the SS as a whole. In 2000, a memorial was built in honor of the deceased Niederhagen prisoners. Four years later, the Crest Museum Wiefelsborg was granted 29400 for restoring and moving the remnants of the Niederhagen camp, as well as producing an educational film on the Ukrainian and Russian prisoners who were housed there. The youth hostel, which is mainly located in the east wing of the castle, is one of the largest today in Germany, with 204 beds. And that ends our story. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. I'm no longer shy about asking you to consider being a patron of our show. And I'm inviting each and every one of you to visit our Patreon site at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network, where you can give as little as $1 a month 
and get the best of 1001 sent directly to you to plug into your current host. We also offer Prime Cuts, a new 1001 show offering the best stories never before published from my private collection for $2.99 a month and up subscribers. Please take a minute today to send us a kind review if you haven't done so yet for any of our four shows, including this one, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, 1001 Stories for the Road, and 1001 Radio Days. We appreciate those reviews and your subscriptions and your telling your friends very, very much.